Hello, welcome to another episode of the Carousel Podcast. I am here with the Kino Corner, a very recognized YouTuber who makes incredible video essays about movies. Hello. Hey, thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, we got in touch. I don't even really remember when, but somehow involved it was, in something. It was Urban Assembly. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. My very top patron, I think, was Mutuals with you on Twitter. And I was going to be in Miami. So he was like, oh, you need to meet my friend Isaac. Oh. Uh, well. That is. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you after. But yeah. <laughs> okay. It's like, you need to meet Isaac. Well, of course, I professionally go by the name Isaac. And I was like, oh, yeah. Well, then I should definitely go, go meet <laughs> Isaac. So, yeah, I think I ran into you guys in that, like, uh, classic bar in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. We we were looking around and I remember we walked in and we're like, all right, who looks super nerdy? You know, and it's like all the kind of, it's like a dive bar. So of course, like no one looks super nerdy. And then we like looked in the corner and you were with yeah. that one Australian kid and we're like, yeah. oh yeah, it's them. <laughs> yeah. This is this Australian kid who was like a legend at Urban Assembly because he was talking about statin and having just come from Prospera, and he was a very mm-hmm. funny character. Um, but why don't you follow me on Twitter? I think I do. No, you don't. You don't. Wait, I don't. No, I don't think so. I see your tweets all the time. That's why I was like, oh, yeah. I just figured I follow. I actually you. don't follow. I did follow you, but I just always clean out my because I have like a I don't know. Do you do like a rule of a certain amount that you can follow? Yeah, to, yeah, for me, it's like a thousand. I recently yeah. cleaned out I and brought mine down to like 800 something. Yeah, so I just unclick everybody who's not following me. So you must have just gotten like, oh, but, um, you know, with Twitter now, with Twitter I thought now, maybe like, I was yeah. too spicy for you or something. No, I fall some very spicy. Okay, accounts. okay. <laughs> I, no, I just didn't know because you are obviously somebody who shows your face quite a bit, and you have a massive following. I mean, you have like you have videos that are you have one over a million, right? Yeah, I have one that's at one point three. Yeah, and then I have several that are over five hundred thousand. Um, They're great. I just hit. I just hit a hundred. I'm in a hundred four thousand YouTube uh, subscribers now. I'm trying to get. I'm honestly trying to get up to at least three hundred thousand this year. So. I have an editor now, so I'll be putting out like a lot more videos. That's um, so great, dude. I, I think what you make, so you really got big in it's something you published, I think only nine months ago, which is this whole. No, literally me. <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the So nobody's going to understand this. So I just want to like explain it. Yeah. Uh, you do a series of videos around what you call literally me movies. Mm-hmm. And literally, me movies are movies like Drive, like Taxi Driver. I like that you did Buffalo 66, which I actually still have not seen. I didn't realize that was one. Yeah. Um, these movies where guys like us are kind of like, oh, that character is literally me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's a joke. And when I made that video, like, it, it's a big joke, like, on the internet, especially. I think it came out of 4chan TV, which is where I first, you know, ran into this. Um and I was like, oh, this is kind of a funny video. I want to make like a shit post video. And as I started writing it, I was, you know, I was like, okay, I'll talk about like a handful of these literally me movies or, you know, movies where people say, oh, the character's literally me. And I realized that I couldn't really find a through line with them, but that all of like, 
and that all the characters are very different. You can't really compare Tyler Durden to Patrick Bateman to uh, Billy Brown to uh, uh, Travis Bickle. Like they're all, you know, they're all very different characters um, with different motivations and different moralities and, you know, everything like that. And uh, so, but as I was looking into it, I realized that they pretty much all deal with the sort of uh, crisis of masculinity in the yeah. modern age yeah, uh, yeah. In, in varying forms. And there are these sort of uh, revolts, you know, it's a kind of a revolt against this uh, sissification. <laughs> the sissification of the modern the West. Male. Well, yeah. I think there's also something that you touched on in the, in the first video about them. Um, and that we'll talk about today about competing moralities Mm -hmm. all of those characters have a morality that seems to grow more naturally from the true feelings that a man has mm -hmm. and they're kind of executing that morality against this fake morality that is being imputed upon them yeah and i think that american psycho actually is a great example of this and that he's like both of this sort of npc world where he is like the epitome of like the npc um but he talks you know in the book too he kind of describes himself as an animal a lot in the book and it really does feel like it's this animal urge inside him to kind of destroy everything around him yeah. you know this this urge for destruction against like this uh dead lifeless culture and i, I was bringing it up in the um my video on american psycho of like he's introducing death to this culture that's you know it's um that is eschewing death it's jettisoning death which i didn't want to say it in the video because i didn't want to get like too theory sellish but it is the kind of the baudrillard idea of reversibility that pavement sort of embodies and Wait, that idea what is that what is the baudrillard idea of reversibility, reversibility. um basically it's like uh Buddha was talking about death sort of in the modern age. And he was talking about the eighties and, and reversibility. I mean, there's a huge, it's a 400 page book that goes really, really in depth. So I can only do like a very like idiot's guide to reversibility thing here. But the way that I was using it is Buddha was talking about death in the modern era and how essentially as civilization, as our civilization, civilization is growing, we kind of get rid of death and we don't live with death like how we used to. And we sort of aspire to be this kind of, um, uh, society without death and you know he uh and we're kind of getting to that point like we talk about oh, uploading our consciousnesses right to be in some android there's these there's these uh you know shows of like oh this guy was gonna die so he got put into this simulation where you can never die this like weird sort of uh, version of heaven um that's not really heaven and uh but then he was basically Baudrillard's thought is that basically as you get closer to that um, death will reintroduce itself and he was speaking in the 80s so obviously um, influenced speaking you know by the AIDS crisis AIDS epidemic whether it's epidemic or war that it's this sort of uh, I don't know it's it's, it's like a, almost like a Tower of Babel sort of way of thinking you know you can build the tower to heaven but at some point all the languages are going to like everyone's going to be speaking a different language and it's all going to fall apart yeah it's just 
man wants to be God, but there's like something there that stops that, that stops you. Yeah. It's actually so funny. I recorded a podcast earlier today with Lomez and Astral, uh, who are people in my like corner of the mm-hmm. internet. And, uh, we were saying this exact same thing. It's like rationalism led us the the era of enlightenment and rationalism led us to this certain point. And it's like, now we've hit this brick wall and now we're like falling all the way back down into this totally new paradigm. And I think that that's, you're saying the exact same thing. You're like, we've reached the end of, of our ability to cheat death. You know, we've like a re we've like used science and human advancement to the absolute limit that we can and now it's like crumbling. <laughs> We're headed the other way. Yeah. And this morality that um, has gotten us to this point is now sort of eating, it's almost yeah. like eating itself and uh, yeah. leading us down these like really, like if we use the morality that we had, it leads us down into, you know, Weimar 2.0. Well, yeah, right. Well, I mean, then that's kind of where we were. And I mean, I think like, uh, you know, this like uh, medically assisted death is kind of the perfect Mm -hmm. example of your type. And that's, that's what you're saying. It's like Bateman is returning to this old morality of animalistic behavior in a way. Yeah. It's it's, it's like a, he's shocking in the context of 1980s Manhattan. Uh, He would, his character wouldn't necessarily be shocking in the context of uh, a bronze age, you know, a pirate or a tribal member like you'd say oh okay yeah maybe he's one of the sea people and wouldn't be shocking at all like right raid um, societies raiding societies i mean most of the world was raiding societies for most Mm -hmm. of the time and it's not like that instinct just gets turned you know flipped off even though we pretend that it does like we pretend that we're not bloodthirsty you know people but we are or some of us are um anyway so uh yeah, I don't want to get too deep into this. I really would love to, at some other point, just learn all about how you decided to do what you did. Um, you know, how you make such incredible videos. that They're really very well made, is what oh, I, thanks. I would say on top of anything. They're they're extremely professional. They must take you so long. Mm. Yeah, you know, but I'm, fa- I'm fast. You're good I'm, fa- I'm fast at it now. And yeah. Coke Zero and coffee helped me <laughs> edit for 18 hours at a time. Yeah. So. <laughs> my father-in-law, my father-in-law is a film editor, was a film editor. He edited Mall Rats. Oh, okay. <laughs> I um my very first movie that I made, I made on a budget of 75K. And that starred uh one of the stars of it was Jeremy London, who was TS in Mall Rats, oh. the main character. Wait, yeah. so are you a filmmaker mm-hmm. yourself? You are. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not... I, I I came from the world of working on sets, um, working on sets, being a script doctor, kind of doing the whole Hollywood stuff. Uh I only started taking YouTube seriously once COVID started because um all the jobs were gone. But yeah, I was like I was also a narrative editor, um, did music videos and all you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And but yeah, that's why I guess I started doing film YouTube just because I, I, you know, during when COVID started to hit, I was, I was passing time. I was watching some of these like channels. I'm like, these kids don't know what they're talking about. I I could do it better. So 
Well, I think you've found your purpose in life, man. There is, I mean, I am not a YouTuber at all. I'm I'm just not really like YouTube is not my thing, but mm -hmm. I do occasionally watch Chris Stuckman review videos. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you have <laughs> thoughts on him. No, okay. My my thoughts on Chris Stuckman. Uh I don't so I don't watch any uh, ever since I started making videos, I don't watch any um film related videos at all on YouTube. I stick only like primary sources and, and you know, that's interviews. That, that makes yeah. me really happy to hear because sometimes I get really guilty and feel like my life is ridiculous when I don't read. I don't read any other sub stacks. Yeah. Because I'm like, I don't have time for this shit. But then I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, if I don't do it, then why are people reading mine? You know? Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I, I know that feeling, <laughs> but I just don't want to be influenced by anybody. Oh, wait, you're drinking. A, oh, here we go. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers to the Pellegrino. Pellegrino nationalism. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I just don't watch any, any of the film, film YouTube stuff. Uh, partially one, because I don't care what any of them have to say. And two, if I do care about what they have to say, then I don't want to be influenced, but I, I still want to be unique in my voice. And I would think like, oh, no, I'm watching this. Oh, no, they do this. I like how they do this. And I don't do that. But then if I start to put that into my videos then it comes off like I'm aping off of somebody else. So I just say like, mm -mm, no, I'll just watch my documentaries on Bronze Age societies and Roman history <laughs> um, in lectures and lectures about philosophy. And that's pretty much the only things I watch on YouTube. Um, yeah. But uh, what was I? Oh, I've completely lost my train of thought. Uh, yeah, no, let's, we were just talking about your business model and everything, and but, but let's not get into that because I'll, I will just get so curious and down the rabbit hole that we'll never get out of it. So let's, let's talk about what we're here to talk about, which is, I want to discuss with you this trend that I'm seeing that I just wrote an article about yesterday. It's called the rise of the populist genre film. And what I'm seeing is this rise of films that are kind of loosely based on most dangerous game, which is this death battle amongst people at the behest of sort of a rich elite. There's been a million versions of this squid mm -hmm. game, hunger games, battle Royale. Um, these are all versions of like rich. The Coliseum. Kind of yeah. <laughs> it's right. all versions of. Yeah. Right. It's like the yeah. new Coliseums. I should have said mm -hmm. that in this piece, but, um, but the new Coliseum, instead of being in a Coliseum, they're watching behind like, uh, two-way glass i think the, the mm -hmm. way they're doing squid game is so beautiful i love the 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 elites in that with their weird masks and their their strange like way they act and they're mm -hmm. hitting on the you know male uh people and we also had the hunt which was actually literally a right-wing movie i think that was about yeah. elites killing republicans yeah i remember i remember that the movie got delayed because there was a huge outcry oh, right. yeah that this movie was Oh my God! This is movie is about liberals hunting down Republicans, and the liberals are the good guys. And this is they're really showing their colors this time. And then when you watch the movie, the hero is a Republican, and the liberals are not only the evil ones, but they're literally just idiots. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Glenn Howerton was was you know great, and they don't know what they're doing, and. Yeah. And it's all because people uh people were making up conspiracy theories about them online. Yeah. Which is yeah. Right, right. So so um 
those movies have been around for a while, although I do definitely think that they're growing in popularity. There there seems to be more and more of these types of movies being made. And actually, since the original Most Dangerous Game, there hasn't been that many of them, the, these kind of death game things, at least that I could find. Now, I mean, we also have The Purge. Yeah. Now, this year, we had three movies come out that not only have basically poor people trying to kill each other, which is how these things have always been done before. Now they have rich people who are also trying to kill each other. So it's like, instead of it being Mm -hmm. the rich, we have this allegory of the rich putting the poor through a rigged game in which they die. Now we've gone like one step further to where we're literally fantasizing about putting the rich in the game and killing the rich. So it's like even more an eat the rich type of yeah so those movies are glass onion which is the follow-up to um knives out knives out (laughs) the menu which is a kind of silly art film and then triangle of sadness which is i think the third big movie of this guy ruben ostland who previously did um the square the square force majeure and and force majeure right He, he he had a few he had several movies before that but i think force majeure is really what put him on the map internationally Right. And, and they remade it with Will Ferrell. And he's a you know great uh, Swedish satirist. So mm-hmm. I guess what I want to see is ask you just really just to kick off the conversation. Do you think there is even a rise in this type of like I call them populist movies because populist genre films, because populism basically means like hatred of the rich kind of or hatred of the elites? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it just there's a rise and i think that the rise has to do with current um political and and economic conditions you know uh going into going into a recession the rise of populism in 2015 and 2016 that still exists today and how uh populism not just on the right but populism on the left you know we like the right did have trump but the left also had bernie sanders and so what's really happening is now that there's essentially four or three major contingencies in the states. And that is the neoliberal, neoconservative, kind of the old guard, um, populist left and populist right. And the fact is, is that there's quite a few people on the populist left who make movies. I would say more so on the populist left than populist right. It's, you know, the movie industry, at least since I would say maybe the seventies has skewed towards the left, usually center left, um, Uh, But, you know, I think that there is this rise of the populist left eat the rich um, ideals. Uh, And, you know, we're starting to see that more in movies that play to American audiences. But to say that I don't think it's anything new, but I think it's it's interesting um, in terms of American film, because if we go to other nations, if we go to Europe, like Bunuel was making these kinds of movies in the sixties, like the exterminating angel uh, Godard was making these films. A lot of the French new wave films were definitely sort of taken on a bit more of a, uh, a populist left sort of attitude. But since those movies were, um, you know, you could even say sallow sort of uh, fits, fits into this as well. But since those were, which, I but the thing is, is that it's hard to, it's hard to call them, populist uh for when they released like i think if those movies came out now like if the exterminating angel came out now we'd be talking about this here but the thing is is that 
that anti-bourgeois attitude wasn't exactly the populist sentiment back in the 60s. It was a more like academic left yes. sentiment. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, now it's just that this is the populist, this kind of etherich attitude, this anti-bourgeois attitude is populist. And, and it is something that people on both the right and the left, you know, if they're not like a fan of, you know, the establishment can sort of agree on is that, you know, we don't like journalists yeah. <laughs> or, or the, like these super rich people. Um, and, you know, when I think about, when I think about populism, you know, we're thinking about, we're talking about the menu and triangle of sadness and what's a better, you know, what's a better metaphor for the common man than the cheeseburger, the in and out cheeseburger. And <laughs> I guess this is going to get us right into the movies because both triangle of sadness and the menu use the cheeseburger as like their populist metaphor it's such a great call and you said sent this to me earlier and i was like oh my god that's so true and and just to throw people in i don't know if it's an in and out burger though is it an in and out burger or is an in and out is it no. the elitist of the, of, the, of the burgers in and out's not elite it's like five bucks no i know it's cheap and it's amazing yeah. how they've kept it together but uh, you're eating. It's for the the listeners who aren't watching it. He's eating an In and Out burger. But what he's referring to is in the menu. Um, I mean, we can set this up, and you can walk us through. But there's a moment in which she asks the chef, the crazed chef, gone wrong to make her a cheeseburger, and that's supposed to stand for something. I'll let you set that up. But. Uh, and then in Triangle of Sadness, Woody Harrelson, who plays kind of the communist voice, the, the, the Marxist voice, everyone else is eating this, these ridiculous meals and he orders a cheeseburger. And it's remarkable how similar these two scenes are. It's like mm-hmm. it's almost they're so like identical. And it's kind of incredible that they were created randomly in the same year, like totally separately. Yeah, I mean, like think about it like this we had three of these populist eat the rich movies two of which had major cheeseburger scenes but what's even weirder is how why did we have like three or four pinocchio movies this year yeah. <laughs> something was in the water where everyone was just making the same like all the same shit it, it was um, it was anti-semitism that's, the, <laughs> but, that's why pinocchio is because your nose grows along <laughs> so so with the um cheeseburger in the menu this is kind of how i saw the cheeseburger in the menu and it is kind of cutting to maybe the heart of the menu pretty pretty quickly um but it's that he's a chef right and she finds out that he start he's a chef that's like a um like a chef that david gelb would feature on chef's table you know and uh uh making these like uh pe- like a, like everything that he does is like an art piece and and uh, none of the none of the food is really made to like fill you up. You know, it's not made to be like food. It's made to be like, oh, you're at an art gallery and you're getting, you know, you're getting this experience. And that's really what it's about. And she sees that he started off as a burger chef, <laughs> came from a working class family. And uh, he the only time that she saw him smile was in that uh, photo where he's cooking the, you know, making cheeseburgers uh, in the back of some 
McDonald's or something. So she asks him to make him uh, to make her a cheeseburger. And he does. And she like barely eats it, wants to get a to go box. Uh, and I mean, I saw this as like, I don't know, like the, the thing about the menu is I felt like a lot of its metaphors were a bit muddled and confused. Um, but the cheeseburger is obviously supposed to be like, I want the real food, the food that makes you happy, not the food that you're making to appease critics or appease this kind of uh, managerial class that prides themselves on eating at your establishment. Make me something that tastes good and something that you like and something that I like and something that actually fills me up and maybe has a more utilitarian goal than what he's making for everybody else. And she's like, this is a really good cheeseburger, you know, and she's, and, you know, it's this first thing that she's eaten and really enjoyed that night. And it's, and it is kind of like, uh, as I said, it's, I mean, he put it, he put just as much care and craft into that cheeseburger as he put into the other foods, but this is something that is, uh, maybe less pretentious, I guess. Um, but the thing about the movie is, and then the movie sort of says like the cheeseburger is really the ideal where it's, it is the, it is populism essentially as yeah. a cheeseburger, it's but the, most the populist food, right? Yeah, exactly. It's populist. It still takes a great effort. It still takes great care and it can still be great, but this is something for everybody instead of for the elite. Yeah. The problem with the menu that I, I found is that the menu was one of his other dishes that wanted to be the cheeseburger and it didn't go like it should have turned into a full-on exploitation gore you know had like it like if if the movie wanted to be the cheeseburger it should have had way more gore it should have had like over the top you know kind of schlock it should have had um you know sex in it like it should have had these things instead it's still relegated itself to um trying to be kind of like i wouldn't even say like an art house but like more like a prestige film god it was so confused i mean i think that's a hilarious and amazing metaphor that it, it wants to be the cheeseburger but it can't be because it's created by committee is what mm -hmm. i think i mean it's like what what it seems so clear to me in that movie is that it had writer's room syndrome it was like the sh nothing the chef did it was like they kept saying to themselves okay wait is the chef a good guy no we need to write a scene that shows the chef is actually crazy because he's not a good guy he's the bad guy but then they were like trying to go back and make him likable and justified and they couldn't decide and there was like too many people weighing in and he was this character that was kind of pieced together like it, mm -hmm. i got the overwhelming sense that this had been like really redlined by a bunch of fucking development executives who said yeah. like oh we can't say that oh here we need to shoehorn this scene in where there's a feminist statement for no reason that comes out of nowhere where she stabs the, it it's like what where did that doesn't come from? yeah it doesn't affect the rest of the movie and it doesn't yeah. do anything for the film yeah how the menu felt to me is like it was once a great script yeah i agree it's, it seemed like it down. started as great and then yeah yeah, yeah. like they got watered down and now we have like this it's then it's confused because there's there's aspects of it that i really like like i really liked 
Nicholas Holt's character, the, the guy that knows everything about how these, how it's yeah. all made, but he can't do anything himself. And I mean, like I was a filmmaker and you were talking to critics or whatever, like when you're talking to people who watch a lot of movies and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, this was shot on this, this camera and blah, blah, blah. And, and then I, I'm like, okay, do you know how to like shoot on film? Oh yeah. Well you do this and this. I'm like, actually you're completely wrong. Like you don't do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. that's funny story. That's actually one of the, there's a video about called like uh, about how great 16 millimeter film was. And as a filmmaker, I shoot on 16 millimeter. And I remember watching the video and I was like, I can so tell that this guy's never shot on 16 millimeter. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And yeah. <laughs> so like, you're getting all like, you're getting so much of this wrong. Yeah. Like it seems right. And like, if you, if, if you don't, you know, it's like the knowledge doesn't um, knowledge isn't practicality. So it's like, you might read this and you might do the research, but if you haven't done it, there's, there, there's, a, there's a gulf, you know? Um, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's different when you actually do something rather than when you just read about it. But, you know, and then the critics who, um, gave him bad reviews yet still suck up to him and still um you know uh love to 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 brag about how he invited like they they still they still basically want to get like the clout the the vc guys you know who are just there because it's high status thing and they don't really even care about any of the food uh the rich people who just go there to eat and like they don't appreciate anything that he does like it's like if you're an artist you have you know, there's like, those are all kind of classes of people yeah. that you do despise. They're like archetypes. They're like, they're like yeah. patron archetypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I never, I didn't think about it that way. I think it was all so muddied. I didn't like, I didn't, yeah. It was also, tell me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it actually very poorly shot and, and set up like the, the, set was ugly it didn't mm-hmm. look very good like i remember the remember the scene where the person gets killed in the water yeah that looked terrible that looked like a really crappy like i you don't know what you would say it just wasn't i'm gonna show my way. elitism i'm gonna show my elitism here okay. <laughs> i think that one of the problems is that it has a very digital look to it because they're trying to they're trying to ape the look of chef's table the Netflix oh. show, which the show, I really like the show Chef's Table. It works as a documentary, you know, a great documentary show. Um, but it doesn't translate as well when you're doing a satire. I, I, I didn't think. And yeah, like they just had like this dark. Uh, the, the set just wasn't visually interesting. It was like a dark room yeah. with, the, with a kitchen. that doesn't really build out the world <laughs> that yeah. they're in. Like when you're basically all in one set you would want the set to have some sort of life in itself you know and yeah and it just it just kind of looked flat like it looked like they were going for naturalism like how maybe a restaurant would look but with how over the top the film gets they should have um that they should you know and how it's not really shot in a very naturalistic way anyways it's not shot like it's a documentary they should have i don't know they should have played around more with it and yeah the the whole like drowning the um head of the bc or his like his head patron it didn't really play as intense 
at all like it probably should have yeah and it did kind of come out of you know it did kind of come out of like nowhere as well yeah um I think, yeah like it wasn't set up or anything right i think you you have it exactly right though that the, the issue with that movie is it's a uh, it's like it it is exactly and i we're gonna say the same thing about glass onion it is exactly the thing that it is trying to criticize like it is saying we want the cheeseburger, but it is unable to make the cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like it, it likes the idea of the cheeseburger, or somewhere along the way it was a cheeseburger, but then you know it it is killed by the very thing that it's mocking in yeah. a way, you know. And I, I want to point out, I want to yeah. point out that like the you know the the movies that are the cheeseburger made by the you know three-star Michelin chef are, is the trilogy of life by Pier Paolo Pasolini. Uh, because before that he was making all these, you know, uh, adaptations of myth like Medea, uh, Oedipus Rex, um, you know, he had like neorealism, like Akatone and Mama Roma. And then he, he said that he realized that he was making all these movies that were essentially for the elite right there. He's like, it's, it's, the kind of upper crust of society that likes my movies. And in these movies, I have this, you know, I'm trying to get across like his version. I would say his version of Marxist ideology, his kind of populist ideology. And he said that he realized that he's trying to get these ideas across in these movies that are only going to be watched by, <laughs> you know, the people that he's probably criticizing. Like, yeah. and so he made the trilogy of life, which are just like pure sex comedies, you yeah. know, and they were huge hits. Uh, so <laughs> he, he did, yeah, he turned the right corner. That's that's interesting. I, I regrettably, I have never seen a Pasolini film. I'm of course aware of Solo, but um, I, yeah, my dad's a huge Pasolini guy, and he's always trying to get me to watch Pasolini films. And I, I love his films. I never. <laughs> I'm, I'm well, like I'll, one of his biggest I'll, fans. <laughs> I'll get around to it. But um, no, I think uh, I mean that's what's so interesting about as you put it earlier. Also, it's like. Um, Marxist leftism, populist leftism um, is always in these elite institutions. I have never met more Marxists than in the world of advertising. Mm-hmm. There are so many hardcore leftists that are writing stuff like, like uh, you know, I was doing some research for this. And there's like all these like hardcore left wing newspaper, like publications out there that just write openly like, yeah, we need to burn the, down the like the houses of the rich. Like, you know, that's what we need to do. And they the leftists hated Glass Onion and the menu also because for these exact reasons that we're saying. But right. it's funny because I'm glad the Pasolini realized that because it's like there is some weird combination of like the cool kids in the elite world are all marxists for some reason they are all like let's kill the rich marxists but they're not right wing. you know this is a big mold bug point it's like it's like the actual no-no is being right wing and if you step into that world you're totally gone if you're in the left world you can burn people you can kill people you can murder people (laughs) you know and it's kind of cool you know it's like oh you know it's like bill ayers go get a university position like because you have a you know chase a budin it's like oh that's cool like you are a badass you know whereas if you step even slightly into the world of the right, you know, you belong in Florence Supermax and like nobody ever sees you again. I mean, just look at how there's 
you know, how, how much hate like Anna and Dasha have brought on themselves for go- from going from kind of the populist left to kind of right of center. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then even just having people like Fisted by Foucault and BAP or whatever and Alex Jones on their show, like, but I mean, I, I'm seeing like in the Dime Square scene and a few more scenes like net like it's becoming there is a pushback against that but yeah i've I've always kind of found that funny and that a lot of the most about the most about marxists i know yeah are all like trust fund kids all of them no i mean without yeah. exception i don't know a single working class person who isn't about marxist i mean i knew one i worked at the ace hotel as a bartender for a while and there was one guy there who was like a dishwasher who was a Marxist and he like carried around a book, like, like a little book. Where he's and I was like, Oh, you're like a legitimate, like, well, you're like yeah. the old school guy. Like he, you're exactly what he had in mind, but that's the only one of those. I've ever. And, it, and it's, it's always been like that. I want, I want to point yeah. out, like, it's always been like that um, to go back to Pasolini. Uh, there were student protests and riots in Rome in 68, just, just like how in, you know, in, in France, there were student riots and the students were fighting the cops. Of course, the uh, Italian Marxist party, Italian communist party was saying like, oh, we stand with the students, you know, we stand with the students for, uh, you know, uh, you know, because they're communists. And then, and even though Pasolini himself identified as Marxist, he goes, no, I stand with the cops. And, <laughs> and, it pissed off so many people and he explained because these students are all, it's all the bourgeois. This is their idol class. And they're doing this because they don't have to work. They're doing this because they are financially able to, they're socially allowed to do this. And they're, they're the bourgeois that you guys rail against. Whereas the cops are the proletariat and they are just doing their job. Yeah. And they have to feed their wives and kids and go into these riots. They might die and then their family will be destitute, but they do their job anyways. And it's like, and these kids are just being spoiled brats. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, yeah, from a Marxist perspective, if you were like, you know, if you actually <laughs> were uh, ideologically pure, you wouldn't side with the students because you would realize that they're all rich kids who are just destroying stuff because they can yeah, because they're angry about yeah. about something, you know. Yeah, about yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who knows what? Um, cool. All right. Well, so uh, your review of uh, the menu, I'm gathering, is is not a great one. Your overall, you know, my overall thing, I was so I was, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I was just really nonplussed by it. Like, <laughs> as I said, as I said, there's uh, in the script, there's. I can see where <laughs> it once was probably something really good. Yeah. You know, and it just felt like something that could be really good that got watered down uh, quite a lot. And uh, still there are moments, there are moments that I liked, like the whole Nicholas Holt uh, killing himself was funny. Like yeah. having to make the, the dish and then realizing that he knows nothing like, okay, <laughs> that's good. But yeah, it it just it really fuddled its its metaphor. Like it really fumbled a lot of the ideological themes, and and I also just uh, I'm not really a huge foodie, so like yeah. the whole like oh look at this food and they're eating, I'm like I, it's just something I don't care about as much. Yeah, yeah. So. You weren't you weren't like uh, 
interested in that. Well, that's kind of the point that Justin Murphy is making in his caviar cope thing. So mm-hmm. Justin Murphy is saying that these movies are, we are like indulging in the lifestyles of the rich and we get to see it and it's like, oh, it, we like it. But then we get to also indulge in the fact that, you know, the people who can afford it are being, are terrible and being killed. Or, or he also yeah. compares it to White Lotus where, yeah, they're, they're terrible and their like lives are destroyed and it's succession also. Yeah, I Which also I don't like, totally agree with, but I I think uh, yeah. I mean, I also think that with some of these movies, they tend to want to want to portray all the elites as being terrible. But <laughs> you know, I'm I know a lot of r- really rich people, yeah. and most of them are pretty good people. Yeah, no, totally. Um, totally. Actually, most of the people who I know who are like actually you know actual criminals or actual like i don't trust or are not the are not the rich people it's people who are typically poor um yeah yeah you know no that's all like like there's a level of trust (laughs) like you know there's a reason why among rich people there's a higher level of trust than poor people around other poor people yeah no definitely you know so i also just i i, I think i i can watch the movies and see what they're saying about a particular kind of bourgeois but i i'm also like this is like with the menu and with glass onion we'll get to glass onion next because man that is probably one of the worst movies of last year um yeah it is like it it is like this this sort of almost wet dream of what the rich are like like i don't like the wealthy because of the wef or something like that right i don't like the wealthy because they need to pay their taxes or uh you know something like that so i'm just gonna imagine them all as being these absolutely terrible people yeah 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 yeah. but the thing that gets me about these like populist movies and this is (laughs) this is a it's they're all the con like the thing is they're all contradictions um because the most bourgeois art, like the most bourgeois form of art is movie making. Like you can paint something for very little money. Now I know paint is expensive and canvases can be expensive, but like a painting, you know, like can cost you 50 bucks or a hundred dollars or whatever to, to, to paint. I don't know, maybe, maybe more, but you can write a book for free. You can self-publish online, you know, um, you just need uh, like a basic computer and word processing and the word processing stuff is like, is free now. So um, if you can, you know, afford a $300 laptop, Hey, you know, you have, you have what you need to, to write a book. Um, you can like so many people can, you know, homeless people make music. Like you don't need a lot to make a lot of forms of art. You need millions of dollars to make a movie. And so you're not going to be getting like Joe Schmo to fund your movie for you. You're going to be getting uh, the elite, the people who have like $10 million to give to you or $20 million to give to you. I don't know what the budget for glass onion was, but the budget had to be, I mean, I'm guessing it was over 20 million based on, based on the set, based on the cast. cast, Yeah. Just in everything that they had going for it. I'm like, it looked like a 20 to $30 million movie, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was over that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so <clears throat> like, 
in, in, in so 30 million. A uh, 30 million? That's yeah. what Google says, who knows, but yeah. That makes, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. And, but, and so then it always, I always find it funny then when these movies that are <laughs> made for $30 million are like, yeah, aren't the rich terrible? I'm <laughs> yeah. like, only the, like everyone who's making this movie is rich. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it feels like they're, I, it, in a way, it kind of feels like the 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 bourgeois class is trying to appease the masses with yeah, this, which like, is the God. grossest thing, right? It's yeah, like, it, it, which what, is like, yeah, here, take this thing, so you don't actually come kill us. Like, yeah, you, you <laughs> can get you your, pretend. yeah, you can pretend like you're, you know, we're gonna. I mean, it's the bread and circuses sort of thing, right? But yeah. it's kind of like if you sent your gladiators out dressed as dressed in togas rather than dressed in like normal gladiator stuff but it's... but but that really brings us to why this particular elite is so distasteful particularly like to people like me i i think that like you're totally right look there's always gonna be an elite they're always gonna be hated by the masses they're always gonna be held up to ridiculous scrutiny that's really not fair and you know but just simply because they're in these positions of power that's never gonna not be the case mm-hmm. The issue is that this particular elite feels so rotten and and like so terrible, and and I think that uh, and what Oslin does what what I said and incorrect <laughs> like but, yeah it's, it's like Ryan Johnson he knows the people who are like Ryan Johnson is one of the elite like yeah he he might want to parade around like ah like I'm the working. Like I'm a regular guy. It's like, no, you're not, dude. You yeah. are you are in the one percent of the one percent. Well, and he's the the so I have met a few people like this in my time in LA. He's actually absolute peakily because he's like a guy who wasn't elite, then was in like brought into the elite about 20 years ago mm-hmm. and has just been in that world for 20 years, like just enjoying it. So it's like his life is so totally foreign from the normal person. Like, like he has nothing in common with, like he has so much less in common than, than somebody like me. I don't, I don't know about you, but like somebody like me than the son of Ryan Johnson, because, you know, the son of Ryan Johnson has been in it for a while. He's like, you know, Hunter Biden, like he takes it for granted. Whereas mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson's still like enchanted by the magic, yeah, you know, like yeah. the magic of his life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it um and I do get that sense like if we look at the the cast of of Glass Onion it is it's it's essentially trying to ape the very first movie, which is minority woman needs to get revenge on uh an elite group of white people, mostly white people, I would say. This kind of who Ryan Johnson sees as the established uh, sort of ruling class of America. Now when knives out, he went after the sort of uh waspy um, waspy, like living in a mansion and where was it like New Jersey or something. So like a Northeast or upstate New York, like a, a, like a Northeast uh, New England. I don't don't know if it was in New England or not, but um, kind of waspy, like, Oh, this, like, these are the, the East coast sort of, people and so now with glass onion he's going after people silicon valley like a, a west coast the west coast elite yeah 
Um, and he has uh, Ed Norton, who Ed Norton's character is sort of modeled after. I mean, it's it's most definitely Elon Musk, ninety percent Elon Musk. Yeah, a little bit of the um, woman from Theranos, and a little bit from other places, but you get a sense that it's Elon Musk. And the problem I really have with Glass Onion is that it is a political satire first, a bad political satire at first, first mystery second. So the second that you go, so the second that they get to the to the island, and you see that. Ed Norton is the character that is being satirized. You go, oh, he's a bad guy. Like, you know it because he is the subject of scrutiny of this movie. And it's like, oh, okay. The movie's like, okay, movie's over. Like, he's a bad right. guy. It's like, I, you, I don't know yeah, what he right. did. Yeah, exactly. You know that there is no way that he's not going to be the problem. It's so yeah. obvious. No, that's a really great way to put that. Yeah. And I mean, and that's not to say that like, the other characters aren't good. Like they're all incredibly, and this was the first, that was a problem I had with the first Knives Out. All the characters are incredibly two-dimensional and it really comes off, not just as a guy that, um, you know, has lived with the elite and obviously doesn't understand what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck. You know, he doesn't really, he doesn't really get that. I mean, I currently, uh, you know, living in a city, I currently basically live paycheck to paycheck until, you know, my YouTube gets better, but um, you know, it's like, so I'm watching this and I'm like, this guy is like not based in reality, but it's also like a guy that's been in the elite for the last couple of decades yeah. who also spends way too much time on fucking Twitter. Yeah. yeah. You know, exactly. like that's, yeah, totally. that's the thing. Like the yeah. thing is, is that when it, I, I would, you know who, you know who satirizes the elite a lot better than Ryan Johnson is Brady Stanellis, yeah. you know? The yeah. rules of attraction, that is like the elite kids. Yeah. That is, totally. that is them. Like well, uh, less you know, than zero is is the high school version of that. And yeah, less they, than zero know, is like the yeah. high school yeah, version. Um or or I think he's it's like his first year of college. It's his first or, year back, but he's visiting high school. So it's like yeah. it's that world. It's the LA rich high school kids world. Yeah. And then rules and yeah. then the rules of attraction is uh college. The, the college, yeah, the yeah. New England, the yeah. New England college. Well, because he went to Bennington, right? With yeah, he went to Bennington, and I almost, I almost got caught up in that whole scene because I got into <laughs> middle. I almost went to Middlebury. Yeah, that I think Middlebury is way more like Normie though than Bennington. Bennington's like weird. Like yeah. Benning, it goes like Bennington is in the world of um, Bard and Sarah Lawrence where my wife went and you know like read yeah. college up read, in yeah. Oregon, my, you know, my cousin like went to bard yeah <laughs> that's yeah. like that little network those are like the really weird rich kids you know and then it's yeah. like second levels like skidmore and whatever that thing you were just saying uh, yeah middlebury yeah. middlebury williams yeah, yeah. Uh, well you're right right yeah 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 um yeah my cousin went to bard i don't think like I don't think she did any work no. <laughs> for years because she studied photography. And I remember we gave her like we're it was a Thanksgiving, right? We gave her a camera that's like a normal like SLR camera. I mean, this is pre DSLR days, so this was like twelve, thirteen years ago or something. And she like didn't know how to work 
basket or how to frame the shot. And she's like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, you're a, you just graduated with a photography major. It's like, what have you been you know? doing for the past? But years? it's just like, it, it, yeah, exactly. But it's just like in the rules of attraction where it's like, everyone is just like changing majors willy nilly, like they're not, but they're not going to classes, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And, and they're doing a lot of, they're just kind of getting high all the time. And, yeah. And they're not like bad people necessarily, but they're just like, they, they've never had to work for anything. So they just sort of don't do any, like well, they're bad people in the sense that they're narcissists. I think so well, I yeah. went to uh, visit my wife before we long before we were married when she was still going to Sarah Lawrence and I was like 27 mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was this like 27 year old bro who just showed up at Sarah Lawrence and like stayed in her dorm and I remember we were hanging out with her friend. I had just arrived on campus and like we hadn't even gone to her dorm yet. And her friend was like, oh, uh, come take a look at my studio. And we like come and take a look at her studio. This is like I'd been there for 10 minutes. We walk in and she's like, here it is. And there's a giant picture. Or there's like a whole photo spread on the wall of her just naked. Like, you know, legs spread, like in all kinds of different things. I'm just like, I just met you 10 minutes ago. And now I'm like <laughs> yeah. staring into your vagina. Like, this... <laughs> yeah, like yeah, it's like, yeah. sorry. I... <laughs> um, which is very serious. But anyway, OK, so back to Glass Onion. What what? Um, yeah. Keep walking us through what was happening with this movie. I think that was a great point you made about it. it's like. It, there's no tension at all because you know it's like they set it up as like this is the bad guy and then he never isn't the bad guy he's the bad yeah. guy the entire time yeah yeah exactly and <sighs> um and so they kind of try to do this the glass onion sort of also operates as like two movies there's a one movie where ryan Schwantz is intentionally actually it, people on film on twitter have been like it's called misdirection it's not misdirection if it's two different shots where say you see daniel craig uh spying in on you know uh dave bautista's wife like having sex with ed norton oh but then in the second half you see that he's actually with the um janelle uh monet but it's like no like that's actually just like deception that's not like that's not necessarily misdirection like they're with each other but we only we see like a like an edited version, a skewed version of it. Yeah, that's cheating. It's cheating. Yeah. Right. That's not misdirection. It would be misdirection if it was her, but there was some other explanation, right? Or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so I remember like, so the first half, you know, Daniel Craig is acting like this bumbling idiot. And then um, the at the point where uh, Janelle Monet gets shot and you think that she dies, it's like, okay, let's actually start from the beginning and now we can see that this Elon Musk guy is only um, is only wealthy is only like because because uh, he um, uh, he's only wealthy be, like because he stole all these ideas from Janelle Monet or like she plays us like these identical twin sisters. Um, and then when she didn't want to give him what he wanted he went and killed her and so now it's actually the twin sister who's there posing as her yeah yeah. of course this brings a lot of questions where just of you know how does this necessarily uh make sense uh he probably knew that something was up why did he say okay yeah come come over to this boat 
oh, and this detective who's with you, this famous detective who's with you, why didn't he just say, you're not invited? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously he knows what happened. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I'm pretty sure everyone else knew what happened too. Why wasn't there just like a, yeah, you're not invited. We're, we're hanging out together. Yeah. You know, but I guess the movie had to happen right. for this to happen. But also my question, my question about his character, you know, is trying to, to basically, it boils down to, wow, Elon Musk is really dumb guys, isn't he? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's, there's a whole monologue about how, oh, he's actually really dumb. And that's, that's yeah. clearly Ryan Johnson's perspective on Elon Musk is he's actually an idiot. But my question, but my question is this, if he was really dumb, then why did she keep him around for so long? Yeah. Why did she make him the CEO? Like, if he was so dumb, then why why didn't she just let let him go like when he maybe outlived whatever usefulness he had and it seems like he never had any usefulness yeah, yeah. you know so why did that and you know that's my question I'm like okay so so why is he even in this position then yeah i think overall it just all speaks to the the fragile the, the fragile nature of of this elite mindset that is it's like all balanced on these things that don't make any sense i also thought janelle monet was terrible. she's like so much worse an actress than everybody she's, else that no, was she, there she's it was, awful it's like she's her awful. face doesn't move and this is like this is the whole thing it's like i am not at all a racist when it comes to and like you know i'm not even like a racial realist when it comes to acting there is absolutely Black people are in every way as good at acting as white people. There's no like, I mean, you have, I don't think like an actor, white people are like better at acting. I've never seen that. There's. No, I, I would say, I would say that if you, I would yeah. say if you were to ask like the normal, like a normal person, like who they thought, like to name some of their favorite actors working a day, Denzel Washington would yeah, probably absolutely. be one of the first. Dude, Denzel yeah. right now is absolutely on fire. Like I love mm -hmm. this like fat, drunk, old Denzel. It's so good. Like in Mac Macbeth was in one of my favorite movies of last year. Macbeth was like, Oh yeah. Good. That was a great, yeah, that yeah. was a great And one. Denzel was just having a blast, like just killing. And, and nobody, I mean, Denzel is as good as anybody, as far as I'm concerned. Like he, what he does, especially now, he's really like hit a new gear. And like, he's just absolutely killing it. So it's like, there are plenty of great black actors out there. And yet you, you have to cast this like totally wooden, terrible, like woman who can't even like move her face more than like mm -hmm. one inch. Cause she's like really pretty. Like I, it just was so, this is like the problem. It's like, they're trying to be like racially tolerant, but really they just make it worse. Yeah. I mean, there's other, like, I mean, there's, plenty of other better actors it could have chosen from yeah. too and maybe it was the name factor of like janelle monet like it was yeah. a pop star and it's going to be this it's going to be cool because i'm having a pop star like in this leading role and yeah you know it's going to be like when people cast david bowie in a movie but the thing is is that david bowie was a great actor yeah like, he was <laughs> right, awesome right, right. <laughs> you know yeah. um yeah. mick yeah. jagger people was, are just good and some of them yeah are. yeah yeah but the thing that really grated me about janelle monet is i grew up um in North Florida, about 30 minutes from Alabama. Um, and she's supposed to be from Alabama. And let me tell you is that black women from Alabama have a accent. Oh, that, yeah. And that is not that accent that she has at all. When I was, <laughs> when I was hearing her talk, 
I was like, this is some Yankee. That's yeah. that's the first thing that comes up, you know, that came to me. I was like, this is a Yankee trying to ape some Southern accent and it's not based yeah. in reality. And it to me, yeah. it was so great. And I was like, I can't be the only person who thinks this. So I, I looked it up and I saw black women on Twitter like, talking this about, is not like, how <laughs> this is not how we talk in Alabama. Like this is like she got it completely wrong. And then I was yeah. people told me that's the joke. I'm like, I don't think that's the joke. I don't like I can see Daniel Craig's like overly draw like everyone knows he's British and he's doing this like, you know, Kentucky draw. No one talks like like no one talks like Daniel Craig's character. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but like I can see how that is sort of a caricature yeah. or a parody of a certain type of character. And um, yeah, yeah. And 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 persona like this, this Southern gentleman sort of guy um but with her i think she was really trying a trying to be more of a have a realistic persona she's not really the she's not the figure to be ridiculed in this like yeah. even daniel craig's character is a figure to be ridiculed but only in a very kind of you know but he's still the good guys it's, it's only as you know it's like a self uh, deprecating like sort of thing but with her she's like the straight woman of the film and so I, I was like, I don't think that it's a joke that her accent and delivery is terrible. Yeah, yeah. No, you she know. just sucks. She's just a bad actress is, <laughs> yeah. is, the, is the real reason. And, 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 it, and, yeah. and this goes further to prove that it's like, did Ryan Johnson and Janelle Monet not go to like Montgomery, Alabama and hang out with any of the people there and try to pick up on how they actually talked? Yeah, no, I'm like, sure it, to, to me, it's like, it, it comes off as like way more elitist they're yeah. trying to play the she's well, trying to play it the, is. The, and yeah it is and this is the, the the whole movie reeks of that the whole movie reeks of like black girl magic you know it's all like oh everything she does is amazing and cool mm-hmm. like just because she's a black woman and they can't see that like no actually she's just not really a good actress so it's like that the, yeah. it's not they're trying to be like oh but that's just part of the magic and it's like that's actually way more racist than if they just were like being honest yeah yeah it comes off as as to, to me at least how i felt it came off as like condescending it came yeah, off as that kind of like yeah. uh you know coastal coastal lib condescension towards um people in a flyover state and it doesn't matter necessarily that they're black or they're white, but there is a condens- condescension that they have. And that's really how it came off. And I mean, her character is very, very two-dimensional, but so is everybody else's. Uh, you know, you have Dave Bautista, who's supposed to be what, Joe Rogan? Yeah, I guess, yeah. So, like, uh, yeah, to, yeah. To me, I was like, oh, okay, he's Joe Rogan. But it's like, but he lives in his in his mom's basement. <laughs> But I'm like, if he's getting millions of dollars, uh, why is he living in his mom's basement? You know, if he's like this famous guy. That's such a good point. Yeah. And it's just another example of like these two dimensional bad guys that exist in Ryan Johnson's like 2D world of Twitter, where it's like this guy's both a billionaire, but really dumb. And this guy's yeah. like really successful, but he lives in his mom's basement because oh, and has, they're not people. And, and was yeah. it, but correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't there a thing about him like not being able to get it up? There's always some penis thing. Yeah, it has to be that the Republican or the conservative guy can't like is impotent in some way, right? Yeah, it has. You have to have that. You have to have that there. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Right. And then, um, and then there was a Democrat uh, politician 
And her main fault was that she wasn't actually a Democrat at heart. Exactly. Right. And they had, they were like, oh, that'll make it more complicated. She's a Democrat. You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, the, yeah. and then they go, but what's wrong about her is that she's, she's more like Republican. Republican. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so you're, you're basically being like right. attacking, like she's supposed to be like who? Cinema? mansion yeah, or, I think or something she was like Kristen cinema that was a Kristen cinema you know yeah and perfect time perfect time um <clears throat> for Kristen cinema to you know not be a democrat anymore right <laughs> which is also fake you know it, it's yeah. also like definitely not real um okay let's not just be too uh complaining though I, I'm, I'm worrying we're airing on the side of just being too like nothing is good and we're great and nothing is good but uh, overall, though, final question on Glass Onion. Are we now just going to be like stuck? Now these movies do well, right? So now we're going to be yeah. stuck with this. I'm already seeing from the mind of Rian, J- Ryan Johnson all over the place because it's like the, the, the Hollywood's like, oh, we got one. We, you know, yeah. we, we got finally one that people want to see that like we can control. So like, why do people want to see this stuff? And now are we just going to be stuck with this terrible crap for like years? Um, yeah, and I think that it's only going to get worse as we go into a recession, because as we go into a recession, people have less spending power. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, studios are going to err more on the side of safe than they are going to err on the side of like making something good. Right. So, it, but the thing with like Glass Onion is, yeah, it did really well. It did super well on Netflix. It only it was only in some select theaters for a week. I actually saw it in the theater. Um. But only like in cities like New York, Austin, L.A., like bigger cities. And so you can't really gauge like how like most of America would like react, you know, how like how it would be if it was a bigger theatrical release. I don't really know. I think it being on Netflix and basically it having Daniel Craig, who still is like riding off the whole James Bond fame, people click on it like it's much like I you know, but does that mean that they would spend money on that movie? That like that's a big question. But I mean, Netflix, like after putting Glass Onion out last last month, did gain a whole bunch of new subscribers. Really? This month. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and also the first one did well. The first one was not Netflix, right? Yeah. No, the first one was not Netflix. The yeah. first one was released traditionally. Yeah, and then Netflix bought the rights to the IP because it did. Even the first one did well, and I was yeah. so surprised that the first one did well because I was like, "This sucks. Why is this?" Yeah, I didn't well? like the. I didn't like the first one. People keep yeah. telling me that the first one was good. I'm like, no, like it's like, again, it's shitty Agatha Christie, like without really any of the suspense. Yeah, I just you don't know? get it. It's like one of those things that is somehow people are responding to, and I just don't like. Understand. That was that was another that was another movie where you instantly knew Chris Evans was a bad guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm right. Like, okay, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but, okay. Yeah. So moving on to maybe a good version of a populist eat the rich film. Let's talk about um, Triangle of Sadness. So what did you think? I Okay, so I saw some of the comments you were making about Triangle of Sadness. I yeah. completely agree that it's like a blunt instrument. <laughs> it's not, mm-hmm. It is in no way subtle at all. Um no, it's it's not. And as far as Oslin's work goes, I think my favorite of his is still The Square. Oh, The Square is incredible. It is yeah. so good. And no one talks about it. 
Like, yeah, I think yeah. I, I tried to find the ape scene or no, no, the ape scene exists on like in clips. There's another mm-hmm. scene in there. And this is obviously I'm in the world of marketing. There's a scene in there where like they're trying to recreate the ice bucket challenge. Oh, yeah. Like this marketing agency gets hired to recreate like they're and they're really they're like trying to tell them how to recreate this thing to market the movie or something. And it's so clear. This is something that he went through himself because I've been in that exact room like a hundred times where the The client says that exact thing. The square felt very much like how, like it it felt very much like a lot of this stuff was based on like actual things he went through. I mean, I worked on commercials and, you know, and hearing, you know, you always have like when you're on, when you're filming a commercial for, like I worked on commercials for like Big Pharma, like Humera and stuff like that back when I was working on cruise. Yeah, I've written for Big Pharma. I've done, yeah. I've written those commercials. Yeah. And so like uh, um, you have the agency there, you have the director and you yeah. have like your typical film crew and then you have the agency and you set up the video village for them. You get the shot and every, and, and then they, and then they watch the shot like 20 times and the shot can just be like some B roll shot. Like it's just like, Oh, a guy standing on a beach. And they'll and they'll be like, oh, you know, they'll have like a whole fucking list. Oh, Actually, one, one funny thing is I was so doing a, I was working. On a and they're all getting paid to write their one little opinion of like, oh, can they, they, maybe it's more accurate if it's and it's like it's a fucking Humira commercial. Like nobody yeah. cares. Like, so shut it, up. The the funniest the funniest thing is uh, um, I was working on a commercial. It was a it was a commercial for uh, both the WWE and Five Hour Energy. Um, and it was with the Uso twins who are from my hometown. They're the rocks cousins. And they were like, you know, doing all this, like five hour energy, uh, you know, chilling five hour energy through the WWE or something like that. The director of photography of that, uh, really cool guy, Andre Secula. He was actually cinematographer for American psycho and Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. Like he has a pretty, pretty good, you know, uh, catalog of, uh, films, but commercials pay better than movies. So a lot of these cinematographers do commercials for work, you know? Oh, I mean, they, all the, even the biggest, even Harmony Corrine has been, does like tons of commercials. Todd yeah. Field does, I mean, they all yeah. do commercials. Yeah. So anyways, for one of like the product shot, right? It's like supposed to be in the uh, um, locker room where they're training, you know, in the stadium. And it's literally just like the camera slides a little bit on a small dolly reveals the five hour, five hour energy. You know, we have a soft key light on it. You know, we have like just a little bit of a light here. It's a pretty simple setup, but it's like, what are you going to do? It's sitting inside a locker. Right. And so the agency's there and they're like, what if we move this light slightly? And what if we, do you think that we can get another light in there? And Andre Sekula was just like, and is like, he's like this uh, grumpy Polish guy. I, he's like one of the most amazing people I've ever met in this industry. He's like, we are not painting Sistine Chapel. We are making five hour energy. Commercials. <laughs> yeah, shut the fuck up. Agent agency people are the absolute worst. Mm-hmm. And it, and none of them have anything to say. They're all just there to justify their massive paycheck. So they're like, yeah. I need to say something. Let me, I need, I need to have some opinion. That's why I'm here. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's... Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so with the square, like the square definitely, for, for me, that felt the most real. The tri- triangle of sadness to me uh, was a little bit too 
blunt. It was very um, blunt. It was it, it was, was not it was not subtle at all. But the thing that I did like about it, so I, I liked the film. I didn't quite love it. Like it was too blunt for me to love it. Um, the uh, but what I liked is that it does go beyond um, like what Glass Onion and the Menu are doing. The Glass Onion and Menu are taking these extremely super. The Glass Onion is the most superficial. The menu is, has a little bit more depth than Glass Onion does. Um, but they're taking this very superficial um, approaches to satirizing uh, the bourgeois. But what what Oslin does in, in Triangle of Sadness that I thought was more interesting was how the um, he's satirizing the bourgeois, and that is a m- big part of it. Uh, but, you know, there's three different sections of the movie. There's the section pre-ship uh, with the fashion, you know, the fashion show and the stuff that uh, is after the fashion show. There's this stuff on the ship and then there's this stuff on the beach. Yeah. Um, also, another issue I had was I think I thought that the beach stuff dragged a, a, like a bit too much. And I yeah. think that some of that could have been cut because I got the idea pretty quickly. And then it yeah, they didn't sort of really. Right. Itself. It was like that, that didn't evolve anywhere super interesting. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like the, it would have been good stuff. if it would have been good if that had evolved like one more step. You know, like, yeah, like and if, done it if she had been if the woman. So it, it ends in this like it's a bunch of rich people. First of all, I want to actually say something about the word bourgeois. Like, it's actually tough to say whether this is the bourgeois or this is the, the elite, right? Because there's yeah. actually a difference between the bourgeois and the elite. Yeah, We're kind yeah. of using that interchangeably here, which is fine. Most people do that. It's it's okay. But uh, what happens is it's a ultra elite luxury. Group. It, it, this isn't this isn't is, just like a really nice. Group. This is like an ultra elite like. Group. Yeah, this it's is like the ultra elite. elite. Like it's yeah, it's yeah. the Lord of War. Um, yeah. It's the Russian right. oligarch. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is like this is like not yeah. a, a really nice princess cruise. This is like a hundred thousand dollar cruise, if not more. You know. If, yeah, exactly. Like you yeah. have to have a shit ton of money. Yeah. I would say that the main character, the two main characters, are they're bourgeois, but they're bourgeois, but not elite, and that's why. Well, but they're but, invited into that world because of her fame, though, right? Because they're there yeah. for free. They're not paying. Yeah, her. because she's an Instagram model. Yeah, yeah, because she's an Instagram model. So you're right. Yeah, they exactly. couldn't afford this, but they're, like, used to getting stuff for free because they're these yeah, ex- people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. It's a, mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty privileged. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> but so what I do cool. like, but the, what the film does that allows it to get deeper is that it, it examines hierarchies in different settings with the same sort of cast of characters. So first, you know, we start off with the man and the the girl and um, how he gets kicked, like he sits down, but then somebody comes and they have to move everyone over. And, you know, even though that was his seat, like he gets kicked out and she makes him pay for everything. Uh, yet she's the one making money. Yeah. You know, or yet she's, she's like the famous one. And, 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 he's like her pay pig in a sense, yeah. you know, but he's like, so lower than her and she's getting by on her pretty privilege and she has all the power over him. And he essentially has to like grasp onto her, you know, like Ramora and, uh, and, and uh, yeah. And so there's that hierarchy. I then think we she's go dead by the way. Did you know that? She, yeah. Yeah. She, she died the right after the film premiered at Cannes film festival. Which is crazy. Sad. Yeah. 
and uh supposedly from some she had like a kidney or liver transplant when she was a kid oh was, really okay. yeah it was, it was some sort of yeah that ended up failing you know yeah that's, it's kind of weird to be like using even for this it's like using a poster of her in a bathing suit and she's dead it's yeah like a weird feeling but yeah so so then in the ship um you know you have the 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 kind of the stand what i would say is like the standard sort of the elites and the servants but even and then there's the people below the servants you know there's like there's the servants who dress nicely and are you know the face of the ship and then there's like the mexicans uh basically who Who are actually filipinos in this case but yeah they're filipinos yeah yeah Um, (laughs) same thing yeah (laughs) pirate mexicans in la it really is the same it's like indistinguishable because they have the same name so because filipinos are spanish right yeah yeah, because yeah because they're spanish yeah um spanish polynesian right um but yeah so it's like you have the filipinos uh who are basically you know the cleaning the bathrooms and and doing all this sort of the dirty work and you know basically they're like they're the ones that are uh making the ship run the uh the servants are the are like their face you know it's like the pretty face so that yeah the elites feel like they're you know on like it's only like pretty people it's only like the you know higher class people but really the servants are kind of more in that well a few of the servants are like managerial you know well or and it's like pretty faced white people from you know um like nordic countries yeah from nordic countries which is actually what i there was a couple scenes in it on the boat that just felt having been on both sides of this so i've i've been in the service industry and i've been in you know uh, not the ult. I, I have seen the ultra elite environments. I've been in them before, and so there's a couple scenes. There's one in which, like the waiter people, who are again sort of the face of the ship, as opposed mm-hmm. to the Filipinos, who are like the people actually scrubbing away. And there's a scene where they're all getting ready. And it's like, she's saying, yeah, let's get money. And it's pretty like obvious, but they're like hyping themselves up to like be servants. And there was something, even though it was very obvious, it was just so like true to life and it was so Mm -hmm. real. And then there's another uh, scene where this like pretty, I guess she's like from New Zealand or something, kind of white girl who's a servant is uh, tending to the rich russian oligarchs which are thinly veiled jews they're they're trying not Mm -hmm. to say they're jews but they very obviously are and so it's like these russian jewish couple and it's like the woman wants to bond with this servant of hers who is this like pretty faced white girl Mm -hmm. and she's kind of trying to like switch places with her because she has this like inner guilt and the scene is just so well written and it's like i have seen that exact thing happen before like like yeah i've I've seen like people treat servants in that exact way like they think they're trying to be like on their level but in fact it's condescending it's ultra condescending yeah that's what i think overall Remember in the beginning of the film, there's a fashion show that's like a woke fashion show. And in the yeah. background, it says, I forget exactly what it says, but it says something like cynicism masquerading as 
optimism or something, yeah. you know, like there's some great, like very obvious line, but it's like what he nails is that this particular elite it's same with the ice bucket challenge. It's same with the scene in the square where the people are like wanting to get beaten up. There's something about this particular elite that hates itself yeah. and that wants to yeah. like pretend that it's not elite. And that there, there's something about that. That's so much more disgusting and gross than, a, than an elite that just liked being an elite. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's a, it is a self-hatred that stems from narcissism. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because it's because they have this, they've adopted this whole idea that the elites are bad and they have to delude themselves that they aren't the elite, but then still have all their creature comforts all there. Yeah. You know, and really what that does is it becomes like this is gross play of them LARPing as working class people and working class people or anyone who did not elite season and they're just like what the hell are you doing just like it was better when you were just this snobby and, and, yeah right, right, right at least you knew your place yeah you know, at exactly. least you knew your role whereas it's like don't try and like right just tell me to go get you something you know don't live live with your guilt like this is what's great about british upstairs downstairs dramas like i think the reason why we love them is because like there's tension, but they're comfortable in their roles. Mm-hmm. They're like the servant wants, doesn't necessarily want to be a servant, but the servant knows they're a servant and the aristocrat knows they're aristocrat. The servant's not constantly, you know, the, the queen is not constantly trying to like bond with the, you know, yeah. like there's, there's a separation there and that that's, that's more dignified. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I worked in the service industry for years Uh, as well and whenever a a person would try to i don't like even try to like be cool with me or something like that i'll just be thinking like like i'm not gonna see you again like just ask like the best thing you can do for me is just have me do my job like uh and it's it's always people who are maybe a little bit wealthier that that try to try to do that and (laughs) don't like but then, but then they do. But the thing is, is that they try to be like nice to. You. They try to like be get be like buddy buddy. But they're also like the ones that also try to like um, push you. Yeah. And, and and it's like, look, this isn't my job. Like, no, no, no you can make it happen. I'm like, no, I, no, I can't. <laughs> like, <laughs> I literally can't. And then they, you know, I'm just like, stop doing this. And I was, you know, <laughs> thinking uh, the one scene in the movie that, that stands out. Uh, as that is um, when the French lady wants her to get into the tub because the service workers are told, you know, it's like this whole idea that we have in Western American society, especially of like the customer is always right. Yeah. And they're like, you never say no. Yeah. So right. That's like, the scene I'm talking about. That's the scene. Yeah. Like, that's get, the get, scene yeah. Okay. Get into the hot tub. And yeah. it's like, uh, you know, but it's like, she doesn't know because it's like, no, she has to work but she also can't say no. And then the fact that they demand that all everybody on the ship uh, go like swims with them because, yeah. <laughs> because they feel guilty that they're the ones right. enjoying themselves. Yeah, yeah. And, but the fact that, but because, because of that, it causes the um, all like the food to go bad, <laughs> you know, and, and it causes like the whole chain of events that, you know, yeah. Um, spirals out of control and and so 
And, uh, but yeah, it's, it's out of this sort of guilt and it's that guilt and it is that being unsure of where they fit that leads to all this, all this chaos. Yeah. 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 But then, but, you know, talking about how this, the hierarchies work, you know, so it's the elites. So it's like three different social structure or three different social strata on the ship. And then we get <clears throat> the two social or maybe three different different kinds of social strata on the beach, which then it's the in inverse. So like in a natural environment, the people who work, the people who work with their hands, who know what they're doing are the ones at the top. And um, I'm glad that they had her corrupted very, very quickly too, because that's realistic that like, you know, she becomes like a tribe chieftain type and then takes, and then all of a sudden the person who is pretty privileged is the boy and not the girl, like yeah, in the beginning. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 And and then he's sleeping with her basically to get, you know, all, all the free stuff, you know, and to live the life, like the life of luxury. And then the, and then there's the elites that, you know, they are, they manage people, they work behind the scenes, but they don't do stuff with their hands. Like all the kind of stuff needed for survival. They just hire people to do, they have enough money to where they haven't had to ever think about that. Uh, so they don't really know what to do. They are taking her orders. And then there's, um, you know, the kind of the defective sort of pe- people who, you know, who are just uh, like the one lady who was paralyzed. Freeloading. Yeah. 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 The, the freeloaders and, yeah. you know, and so there's uh so it does, it flips it on its, on its head where the, the bottom are at the top, the top are at the bottom, but it also shows that when the bottom goes to the top, they, they're corrupted. Yeah. They're, they're, they're no better. In fact, she's, worse than the elites when they were at the top right um so the so what i was talking about with the movie is that woody like we haven't even talked about woody harrelson of course when we're when he's having the dinner the reason why he he uh doesn't get sick like everybody else is because he has the cheeseburger you know and he's like no i don't like fancy food but again he, he like he owns that boat he isn't elite, but he is bourgeois because he owns the boat. He is kind of the head of the managerial class. You know, he's like their their head honcho guy. He definitely could eat all the fancy food that he wants anytime. Um, but it, it, it does kind of stem from also him being not liking or being guilty about his role of eating with the elite or perhaps his disdain for the people in that social strata that are right, right above his. Um, and he wants to make a point that he's not one of them or something, you know, but then he gets drunk with the uh, Russian oligarch and, um, you know, and he's reading off all the, the, you know, the Marxist uh, Lenin. Yeah, they're quotes. trading Marxist versus capitalist barbs. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I kind of get the, the comedy of that, but you so know that with that, how Woody Harrelson, like Woody Harrelson is set up to be like, ma- like probably the the most likable character. He's like, oh, these elites, they're like, I, you know, I have to like do this stuff for them. And, and he's like the character that like every person who's been in a service worker is like, oh yeah, like, oh, man, like I have to put on a show for these guys. Like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, um, and I think that he's meant to be ideologically maybe more aligned with Osland. So I did kind of like, 
the whole like reading capitalist versus Marxist quotes again, that goes in the whole bluntness of the film. Um, and I was like, you know, the, the, the sequence of, you know, the, the storm and everything was fun with everyone throwing up. And, yeah. and that is a case. I will say this, that is a case where the movie became the cheeseburger, <laughs> you know, like the menu, the menu didn't go to where triangle of sadness went, even though, you know, so triangle of sadness did become the cheeseburger. Yeah. It, it, it gave us, it gave us a certain amount of cheeseburger for sure. I yeah. was, I was fully cheeseburgered by, so la- last question, then we should wrap up here. Um, and I think this is the perfect punctuation point to end with the cheeseburger, but uh, where did you think it went wrong? Like, yeah, like, cause it's definitely very heavy handed. It's definitely like the metaphors are just so blatantly drawn. And yeah, it, it, it's a little self-indulgent and like the puking goes on for so long. Yeah. <laughs> it's puking and then shit, I honestly, and then shit like, flying everywhere. And the whole, so where to go wrong? Yeah. The whole puking going like, and all that even going on uh, for long, like I was kind of, I was kind of all for that, you know, yeah, I was like, okay. Oh. Oh, good. Um, where it went wrong for me is I just feel like it's, um, it could have been a lot tighter. And I feel like, uh, the third part on the beach, I don't know if it was the longest, it felt the longest and it also felt the most underdeveloped. So I liked the whole reveal at the end that they were actually at a resort the whole time and just had no idea. And it's like, Oh, they're all just idiots. Like they they didn't even go and try to explore, do anything. Um, you know, but it's like it needed to hit some of those plot points um, faster because what we ended up having having was a lot of repetition in the film, a lot of kind of treading over old ground. And um, like, I really liked the opening. I liked a lot of the parts on the boat. It really was like once it got to once it got to the beach, it lost a lot of its steam for me. And yeah. that's why I said I, I, I liked it. I still liked it. I just didn't love it. It just the the last act just sort of um lost its momentum i felt like yeah i know i think you're totally i i don't disagree that it it definitely um it's not even close to a perfect film it's a very flawed seamy you really see the seams you know it's like a kind of like um yeah it's it's not very well composed i will say amazing use of fred again in the last scene, I don't, I don't know if you're a music fan, but uh, like Fred again is like the coolest possible music you could use. And I was when I heard it, I was like, mm. oh, my God, he like, how the hell did he put this in the movie? Like, I just heard that song. Like, how, how did yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if I know that. I it, I recognize the song, but I didn't know. Oh, dude, that, yeah. that song's like, you know, I was in Miami for Urbit and everybody was listening. That Like, that was the song, like, everybody. That's probably was where I heard it song. Before, <laughs> I saw the, before I saw the film. Yeah, you were right. Um, so, no, I, I agree with you that it's like, especially from like a filmmaking perspective. But for me, like, I just, I forgave that because I thought that the, the pastiche and the commentary, which was, you know, these movies are, as you said, it's, when they are making themselves obvious that it is politics first, mm-hmm. like, I'm like, okay, you know, you don't need to pay off the plot as much for me. Like, I don't really, you know, it's. Well, I, I would, I would say that like, um, 
I think maybe I was a little harsher on Triangle of Sadness too, because I saw it before I saw the menu in Glass Onion. I think oh, that if okay. I saw the menu in Glass Onion first, I'd be a lot more lenient on on Triangle of Sadness. Uh, and you know, we're talking about how Triangle of Sadness is about the elite basically wanting to act like they're, you know, they're like a, a common the common man. Like that is encapsulated in the menu and Glass Onion in that the filmmakers and the people are trying to sort of portray themselves. It's like, Oh yeah. We're the anti-elites. Yeah. It's like, no, you are the elites. Right. right. You know, it's right. like you just have guilt about being elites and that's why you're making these movies. At least that's how it feels to me. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think? Last thing, what, what do you think we're going to see a lot more of this kind of trend? Cause it is sure weird that the cheese, the cheeseburger thing is so genius. You pointed that out. Like, crazy that that occurred in the same you know two movies in the same year are we gonna see like more of this or where where, does this signal anything or i i think that well (laughs) you know if it it makes some money and the menu i think is like one of the most watched movies on hbo max oh is that true oh so it Mm -hmm. did really well yeah so the menu did okay in the theaters when it went to hbo max it blew up and like now everyone has seen the menu it's yeah now it's certifiably probably one of the biggest movies of last year uh glass onion obviously did gangbusters on on netflix triangle sadness like it did okay for a can movie like for a european film that's for a niche audience uh but i don't think its budget was was that high anyways i think it might be oslin's one of his more popular films okay you know i would say it definitely has more of a popular appeal than force majeure or the square oh but force majeure was like hilarious though i mean i feel like that's just like a solid comedy right yeah but i i would have to look at the at the numbers of um okay i'm gonna look this up the numbers of triangle of sadness i mean it won the palm door like it's obviously critically acclaimed or well actually i mean it was critically acclaimed now i think it's evened out to being a little bit mixed in the favor of it being good I think that a lot of people are like, yeah, you know, saying like what we're saying is that it's a good movie, but a very flawed yeah, um, yeah. film nonetheless. Actually, the film from Cannes that I loved um, was uh, um, Broker, the new film by Hirokazu Kurita. Oh. Um, that one was great. Uh, Broker. Is Broker. That, can I watch that? I think, well, it's in theaters right now. Broker. Um, so Triangle of Sadness made $10 million and I I don't I think its budget was way less than that. Um but you know we also had Tar that was going after the whole cancel culture of within yeah. the elite within the whole that you know that whole sort of woke culture as well. Um so I think that as long as these movies do well financially uh that they're going to be made. Yeah. You know, this kind of, and I think that this trend, like we, we start to see at least in America, this trend, and we're going to, I think that because of the success squid game, you know, squid games there too. Um, and squid game was like one of the biggest shows on, on Netflix. And it's crazy because it was ever. South Korea, yeah. South Korean show. And um, yeah, I think we're going to see more of this moving forward especially too as populist sentiments rise like uh honestly probably the best thing for populism on both the left and the right um is 
is the fact that Joe Biden is is president, you know, <laughs> and just people like seeing going back to the years of Bush and Obama, you know, and seeing like, oh, yeah, I remember like like the old guard sucks, you know, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. like old guys suck. <laughs> yeah, they really do suck. Um, well, I definitely want to talk to you for sure about both uh, Tar and Babylon, but I don't think we have time today. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you about Babylon in your article, yeah. how it's like Damien Chazelle going like, well, yeah, the, the elite are like crude and degenerate and everything, but it's it's cool, guys. It's, it's good. a good thing. It's a good thing. I swear. And yeah, it's like clear that he has had been having a great time for the past few years and is feeling very inspired. And he's like, this can't be bad, right? Like, it's OK that I'm doing all this crazy shit. You know, yeah. it, it's like, all right. Well, all and, right yeah. It, it, well, the movie came off as so like. Uh, edge lordy from a person who's never been edgy right. his he's like it's life. mountains of cocaine <laughs> it's like, it's yeah like, all right man it's, it's like, like he went to like two parties that had cocaine at them he was like oh this is yeah it's like uh, maybe watch ken park and then get back yeah to right right he's like i did cocaine guys it's it's fun so fun <laughs> yeah yeah that's how i yeah. or that. or the whole like I, I love Tobin Maguire's character, but the whole thing at the like the bottom of like the deepest pit of hell, the, the worst thing he can come up with is this guy bites heads off of rats. <laughs> okay. All right. I've seen Cam I saw worse in Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. Um, that was made forty years ago. So I have seen Cannibal Holocaust. And <laughs> I love Cannibal Holocaust. So I love it too. Movie. Oh, the soundtrack is so good. Oh yeah. It's um, a great movie. Yeah. And yeah, yeah it, I'm just like, dude, you, you bring, you know, in Babylon, you bring me down to the depths of LA hell and it's some dude eating rats. Yeah, that's all you got. <laughs> that's all you got, Damien. Come on. Yeah. I'm like, you, okay. All, all right. You sheltered kid who moved to, who, yeah. you know, got into Hollywood and yeah, did cocaine once or twice. He's just right. one, they want him to work out so bad. I, and, you know, we'll see. But anyway, all right. Um, thank you so much, man. This was really great. I really, oh, really yeah. enjoyed this. This actually, I was in a terrible mood and this put me in a very good mood. So thank you for uh, coming on. Oh yeah, no, it was my pleasure. Cool. All right. See you later. Wait, oh, no, right. no, no, sorry. You have something to, uh, you have something Oh to yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I just want to show for anyone who has made it to the end of this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, if you work in tech, if you have an open source project, uh, if you, uh, my company is giving, uh, grants uh, several grants each month uh micro grants so like up to three thousand dollars a piece um micro grants to different uh open source you know open source uh projects and we're gonna be doing like i don't know six to eight each month something like that as well as like uh signal boosting uh these projects on all of our socials and on our website and everything like that so uh if you go to fudo.org and look in the grants section you can f- figure out how to apply to uh one of our micro grants so is this but yeah we're giving out free money the company you work for yeah i work for food i'm wearing the oh, okay. hat right now yeah, so i work for them but yeah um we're giving out free money so you know if you have a project to open you know i know that it's probably some oh, i just knocked my mic probably some people here are you know, <laughs> working tech do you have like a it, it, the, the only thing is it has to be open source that's like our our main thing Oh, but this is interesting. Independent software lab grant. Oh, okay. This is awesome. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> wow, this seems kind of in the urban e space. 
Well, yeah, we were, um, I mean, on our, uh, for our YouTube channel, I, I did a, uh, interview with, uh, Curtis Yarvin, like, eight months ago or so. Oh, cool. Cool. Awesome. Um, all right, man. Well, thank you so much. I'll put Fudo in the, in the stuff and, um, oh, the cool. notes. All right. All right.